journey. If you were to search the word Hall of Fame, uh, the guest that we are about to uh, chat with today, I don't know if there's a Hall of Fame she's not in in Canada. Uh, most recently, the UBC Sports Hall of Fame as a builder, but we're going back to Canada, basketball, BC, a top 100 U-sport basketball player of all time, a national championship coach, an all-Canadian as a player, history with Canada, um, recently retired and working her way through that, which we're excited <laughs> to hear more about how that's going. Claims to have a little bit of pickleball game, but um, <laughs> I have yet to see any video evidence of that. We have none other than Miss Deb Huban with us today. How are you? I'm great, Aaron. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. No worries. It's our pleasure. You know, we've been going back and forth and balancing life. And, you know, you gave me pockets of time where you could fit us in. So things must be going well for you these days, I'm assuming. <laughs> well, some time is uh, definitely freed up. I'm a little bit shocked at how much time there actually is in a day. Uh, I haven't really realized that for the last 27 or so, but uh, I'm appreciating the gift of time. It's also quite easy to fill it. So that's interesting in itself. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, kind of like a summer vacation for a teacher. It's like, oh, we have eight weeks off and then every weekend is gone and there's five weeks of this. And next thing you yeah. know, you're almost you're almost too busy. So have you been enjoying it? And from like we talked about just before we started here, you know, being someone like we said, is you weren't doing a nine to five office job or, you know, anything like that. It was a pretty chaotic sort of unique job in terms of coaching. How have you found the time and what have you done to sort of adjust to allowing yourself to slow down a little bit? Um, has it been hard or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are all good questions. And I, I don't have the answers to all of them, but um, yeah, I think it's a, it, you know, it's been a, a tricky transition. I'm only partway through it. Um, you know, I think when anybody's busy, they put a lot of things on the back burner. And, you know, over a course of my 27 years, like different things have been put on the back burner and you think, oh, I'll get to this or I'll get to that. And, and the things that are actually there shift and change. Um, you know, I think uh, being preoccupied with your program or your team or your alumni or your donors, that certainly filled up a lot of my mind space and, and my time uh, space as well. And just trying to let that stuff go and not be thinking so much about, you know, the group or the collective, but now narrowing down into, you know, to me and my family and, and my interests outside of the game. Yeah. So recently, I've just been allowing myself the time to um, I've not jump into anything. I've jumped into a few things, but I really tried to resist the temptation and just tried to accept the time, step back, have a slower pace, calmer lifestyle with the focus more on my own physical health, I'm mm -hmm. trying to be more active and investing more time in myself and, and the family having more time for the people that you've, you know, sacrificed some time with over the years. Yeah. Wow. Amazing reflection. It sounds like you've given it a deep dive because I think it's important, you know, for people close to retirement or have, I'm sure they can relate in terms of trying to find that, that healthy balance. Right. And you don't want, everything to be too empty. And like you said, you don't want to be too busy because you are retired. Mm -hmm. So you're, you've, mm -hmm. you've earned the right to have those moments to yourself and those people that are important around you. So thanks for sharing mm -hmm. that. Have mm -hmm. you had time to truly reflect back on it all? Or do you think it'll just come back sort of piece by piece as, as time goes on here? Uh, no, I think that's a, a process as well. Mm -hmm. Because, what, you know, I was at UBC for 
27 years. And so that's a lot of people. It's a lot of experiences, a collective group. And, you know, each each year, each team, each staff member, those are all unique experiences. And, you know, as I've allowed myself some time to reflect or things have come up in speaking with uh, alumni or donors or whomever, you know, there's just so much to appreciate and so much to reflect on over that many years. So I think it will take some time. Um, one thing that's pushed me a little bit more towards that is just the the recent announcement with the UBC Sport Hall of Fame and, you know, just revisiting who's in the hall because I know so many of those people. I, I'm aware of the contributions of so many of those people, uh, even those in, in my um, induction class, you know, were athletes or people that I knew of from past years because of their contributions. So, you know, that affords me more time to to um, to think back and to to remember. Um, but it will be, I think, an ongoing thing. Yeah. And congratulations. I'm sure, you know, and any time you get inducted into any sort of Hall of Fame, it's got to be a pretty humbling experience. And um, and, you know, internally sort of I know, you know, we play team sports and we know the value of our teammates, but to be mm-hmm. to be inducted into some sort of Hall of Fame has got to be a good feeling, I would say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it's an amazing feeling and it, it ties you to the history as well. Like, you know, it makes me think of the 1930 women's basketball team that had Mary Campbell and those women on it who represented Canada at the world championships in Prague. So they, they boarded a train and went from Vancouver to Montreal. This is in 1930. Mm-hmm. And then they jumped on a ship and traveled across the Atlantic Whoa. from Montreal to Czechoslovakia. Whoa. And then they they played on an outdoor cinder court in front of they say thirty thousand people, and they won the game uh, eighteen to fourteen. And so this is a uh, this is just an example of uh, a team that's in the Hall of Fame that I you know I have the honor of joining. So it's special. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Let's get let's get right into it. You know, I think okay. people out west for sure would would connect you to your 27 years with UBC, but there's lots more, mm-hmm. and that's been the fun part about this show is getting to dive into people's sort of life and basketball and how it's worked for them. And you have a rich history as a player as well, and mm-hmm. and uh, lots of stuff there. So take us back to a young Deb. Where was she? <laughs> what was she doing? What kind of ruckus did she cause in the oh. neighborhood? And, yeah. Well, and how did basketball sort of really start to, you know, attract you? Well, from a family of five. So I have uh, a brother and a sister and um, we moved a lot when we were. Yeah. Well, we moved a lot through our, our lives. My dad worked for Bell and he was transferred every uh, three, four five years. So we bounced around and mainly in Quebec and Ontario and a little bit in New Jersey. So we were a very active and connected family. You know, when we were moving and leaving a community, it was always, you know, a bit sad, but there was always the perk of something to look forward to in the new community we were going to. And for me, the community activities and the sports was a real connector. And I think sport played such a huge role in my life in that way, helping me to feel like I belonged, helping me get connected in a new environment, meet my new classmates. Um, So I was pretty much involved in every sport, you know, basketball, volleyball, soccer, field hockey, gymnastics, football, track, swimming. Like I did, I did it all. Loved every minute of it. And sport was really encouraged and promoted in our family. And we enjoyed a lot of sporting activities and adventures together as well. Uh, So 
you know, that was kind of my life. And I was uh, towards the end of high school. I was living, I did part of my high school in Oakville, Ontario, part of my high school in Beaconsfield, Quebec. And then it was time to go to Sejap. So I went to Sejap, which is like grade 12. And you had to choose a sport at that time. I chose basketball. And then from that moment, then I started to get involved in provincial teams, got cut from my first one, but made my second one. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then that led me to, you know, Sejap basketball, university basketball, um, and eventually national team basketball. Was Sejap still like, was it Dawson and all those schools or was the model mm-hmm. different? Yeah, it was the same. Okay. Yeah. It was, it's a little bit different. There were, there were different levels. Like I went okay. to John Abbott. I went to John Abbott okay. College, and it was uh, right now. It's not a very competitive one, but Dawson was there, Vanier was there, yep. Trois Rivières. I don't think there was as many then, or uh, then as there as there is now. And as hard as it was when you were young to do all that moving around, do you feel like it benefited for you in the end in terms of just being able to adjust to new environments and you know, sort of getting to know people and picking mm-hmm. your spots when to maybe chime in when to listen, you know, it's always hard when we're, especially when we're young and we're trying to figure out who we are ourselves and trying to fit in and, you know, in a peer group mm-hmm. and constantly moving. But I do think we also kind of pick up some skills there along the way, even though maybe we don't even realize it. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, we were fortunate to have a strong family too. So I think wherever the unit moved, we had some security and comfort. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you had to get comfortable in new situations. You had to get comfortable. Um, meeting new people and not being too shy. Um, I mean, I think there's some positives and some negatives probably from moving that, that, that much when you're young. Uh, but I think that's where sport was really a saving grace for me because there's always somebody in the community who was older or, you know, at the swim club or, you know, on the baseball team or whatever that, would take me under their wing because I had some athleticism and definite interest and, and drive to, um, to play or compete as an athlete. So, um, yeah, I, I, I would hate to know what it's like without sport as a, a constant changing that much, you know, through your youth. For sure. You mentioned, you said I got to see and I chose basketball. What was it about basketball? What, why? And when did you start to see yourself as someone who might have an opportunity to play at the post-secondary level? You know, were those high mm-hmm. school teams good? Were they in between? I just asked you 15 questions in one, so good <laughs> luck. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, there were no glory days in high school. <laughs> it was, and it was sort of in those days, club wasn't a big thing. So you, you just basically played the season with your school and then went on for me. And then I went on to the next season. So that's why I was kind of a multi-sport athlete. When I went to John Abbott college the choice really was volleyball or basketball. Um, and at that time, I was playing competitive fastball as well. And you'll notice that all the sports that really grasped my attention were team sports. Like I'm mm. a team sport person through and through. So I always love that aspect of a group of individuals coming together for, you know, goals beyond themselves or their individual uh, motivations. And so I think it was partially because there was a limited choice when I went to Sejap on what to pursue. And basketball is just so dynamic. It's such a dynamic sport that's fun, but yet 
for me, extremely challenging because of the multidimensional nature of it. I agree. There's, <laughs> there is a lot to unpack to it. I always get a kick and I'm sure you saw it being at war all the time, you know, like the volleyball team would come out and, and, you know, they could dunk with their armpit, but they couldn't laterally move or shoot a jump shot or, you know, the football guys would get out there and open gym and they look like they could barely walk and chew gum. You know, there's so many different motor skills, functional skills mm -hmm. to, to play basketball. Plus the team element is so vital as well. So, mm -hmm. and then, and then when did you start to think, or did someone come and tap you on the shoulder and say, Hey, I, you know, I've got this university you should look at, or we really like the way yeah. you play. Yeah. What, what was the process yeah. like, you know, during your time? Well, I mean, I, I always got caught up in the moment with what I was doing when I was playing sports. So I, I just enjoyed the process of being out there and being able to express myself and exert myself and challenge myself through sports. So I never really, and it might be at the time when I was young as well. So we're talking about the late seventies and into the eighties for university, but, um, you know, I just did what I loved to do and I didn't really think too hard on the next thing. And maybe that was because we moved so much and it was just kind of laid out for me. But as I got into SEJAP and started to get more serious about one sport, uh, opportunities started to open up and, and just my awareness of those opportunities as well. I wasn't really thinking about sport at university. I wasn't really thinking about provincial team or or anything beyond that. I was just simply pursuing what I loved. And then through doing that, opportunities started to unveil themselves and I became more educated on what the possibilities might be and what sport might offer me uh, for direction into my future. So, you know, I got invited to come out for a provincial team tryout type of thing. And then I started playing for Quebec. Uh, and then I started getting recruited for university. And, you know, it was mainly the Maritimes and Ontario and Quebec where I was recruited. I wasn't I wasn't a superstar. You know, the minute I showed up to the game, I was like a driven, athletic, competitive kid. So I wouldn't say I showed real big when I was first year SEJEP, I think it kind of grew on me when I was able to learn more about the sport and, um, and then, you Corbs, know, more Corbin, you, up. I feel like maybe she's lying a little bit, but that's okay. We'll let that. <laughs> I would love to see, I would love to see, um, I would love to see video of myself in those days just to kind of see what it really was. like. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. You have this you idea really in your know. head, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, and whatever your frame of reference is too, it shifts over time. So, um, but I know I was hungry and I worked hard and I I was fully invested. I know when I became a you know somebody that was recruiting, those intangibles were something that were really important. That was going to be my next question. Yeah, so you mm -hmm. looked for the talent, but also that ability to be kind of a grinder, a good teammate. You know, do some little, a few little things on the court. You you really mm -hmm. made a conscious effort to see that in the, in the the women that you recruited. Hey, yeah, I think yeah. the intangibles when you try and sift down through it, and even you know when you look at the NBA or national teams when they start doing the pr the profiling, right? It's like who are you underneath those skills, or who are you on the inside? Because when those things start coming out, I think it can tip the scale. You know, good player can become great, an average player can become very good, and uh, and they're ple they're pleasurable to be around in mm -hmm. a team environment. So yeah, I think those so things true. are hard to judge sometimes, but incredibly important. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially when you don't have the opportunity, you know. And 
the awkward part of recruiting where, you know, maybe it's after a game, it's just a quick hello or a phone call, but how do you make real connection with those people and get them to trust you? And then you get to know them a little bit better. Can you think like, Oh, mm-hmm. their personality does fit us, you know? So mm-hmm. it's a, it's an interesting process for sure. And and then how did you decide, make your decision? You know, you, you make your choice and, and things kind of, they seem to take off from there. Yeah. Uh, those, uh, Tangibles also start to become 50 point games. <clears throat> so I've heard, um, and some, and some good things start to happen, but you know, why did you pick where you want, where you went and, and, um, how was the experience being a, a youth sport athlete? Uh, well, I, I chose to stay quite local. I was drawn to, I went to Concordia university for a year and they had two Olympians on their team with Sylvia Sweeney and Liz Silcott. So it was a what was that like? very high, high level team. Well, Sylvia, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I had, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to play with her for, for eight years on the national team. And she, she was one of a kind, amazing. Well, she was, she's just a skilled person on the court, off the court, musically, athletically, and intellectually. So that was amazing. Liz was an athlete, unlike no other, but she also had mental health issues. Um, she was an undiagnosed schizophrenic. Um, during those times and and she was uh, supposed to be an Olympian as well but got removed from the team because of uh, just mental health issues that were misunderstood at the time yeah but to wow. be uh, to be a youngster I remember at Concordia gym it's the same one it is now it hasn't changed it's it's just it's like a, a very small uh, high school gym and uh, but we would like Queens from New York would come up and play us and we would beat them and uh, we were ranked one in new sport and ended up underperforming at the end of the year. But um, that was amazing. But there were some things that didn't sit right about the situation as well. I ended up transferring to Bishops and played uh, three years there. That was a very good experience, a very small university. So the educational opportunity was very personal and you really got, you felt like a community because it was really a glorified high school. We only had 2000 students, Oh wow! but there was a strong uh, focus on sport and uh, our basketball program did extremely well. We didn't win the championship, but we always, we always uh, won the consolation final or, and so, and a lot of my provincial team teammates were there. So there was, I think in Quebec at that time, it was the, you know, the perennial provincial winner and the representative at nationals. Um, so it was a good springboard for me. And I, I had a, a really good showing at nationals one year where I ended up getting named MVP when we won the um, consolation side, which was kind of different. Uh, and then I got an invite to the senior national team that year. That was 1978. You know, I went in pretty naive and very green and <laughs> here I made the team. And so that was exciting. And I played behind, do you know, um, Carol Turney, Carol Turney Luce? I do not. You ever heard of her? She was an amazing player. She was a starting point guard and I was her backup. Then she okay. left the team after a year. <laughs> so we talked about you trying to unpack everything you've been through, no wonder it's going to take you time. Like what you've explained over, you know, a four year span here, that's a, that's a lot of stuff happening, right? A a transfer of schools, you know, successful program, you get the exposure of playing with two Olympians your first year, you Mm -hmm. know, have a lot more success as a, as a, you know, the individual awards, but as you know, and you'll be the first to admit is, you know, it's all based on team. Mm -hmm. And then the national team comes calling like that right there to unpack, yeah. <laughs> That's going to take you a while. Yeah. 
Yeah, a lot was going on, but it's, in some ways it's like living a dream, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah all good. Flow. All good, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then just you got to ride every moment possible, you know? And yeah. like we wake up one day like, wow, I'm the backup point guard for Canada. Okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> were yeah. you confident? Like, obviously humble, but were you confident in yourself? You, you knew that you belonged? You felt like you belonged? Or was, it, was there a little bit of self-doubt at first? With the national program stuff? Yeah, or yeah. The, yeah. Well, uh, you know, like, were you I saw, one of the younger athletes. Well, Bev Smith also was that year. She was mm-hmm. younger than me. She was this 16, 17 year old phenom. She was okay. So we're, we were, we were all worried about her because she was like a six foot one guard, they said. And I'm like, well, I'm five, eight. So how's this going to work? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, again, it was just, um, lost in the love of what I was doing. I didn't fret too much. Yeah. I just embraced it. And it was, you know, an incredible joy, um, opportunity for growth and learning. Like we traveled, we traveled the world. We experienced lots of things, developed close relationships with people that were from other areas in the country, which was something new instead of Mm -hmm. being more regionalized. Um, the coaching, you know, coach Don McRae was, um, my coach for the first, um, eight years or so. And he was remarkable and he opened my eyes really to the game and the intelligence of the game, Hmm. you know, the preparation, the attention to detail, the strategy, you know, that was just an amazing experience. So I, I didn't, um, you know, as I got as I got further along in my playing career, I think I started to develop a little bit more performance type anxiety uh, or stress. But early on, I was just living, the, living the dream and loving, loving every minute. You're the the young, carefree, annoying kid in the locker room. Hey? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> too, Playing pranks. And <laughs> yeah, too dumb to know better, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tried to find ways to survive in Bulgaria and Romania and Russia and China and all these places that uh, were definitely not four and five star that we went to. Yeah. And I always mm-hmm. find it intriguing chatting with people on the show who are pre, you know, probably, I mean, pre mid two thousands when social media really started to take off. And, and then before mm-hmm. even the early two thousands where you couldn't just hop on a laptop and search, Oh, what's Romania? Like it was like land mm-hmm. and figure it out. Right. And yeah. so that oh, yeah. whole experience in itself, almost even, I would guess bonds teammates even more because you do need each other so much more, right? It's mm-hmm. not like you can sit in your hotel room on the Wi-Fi and go, Oh, there's a really nice cafe down the road. I'll just go by myself. But mm-hmm. it's like, you got to venture out with each other and figure it out. Right. So quite a unique time to, to be going through all that stuff and, and fun, but also scary yeah. moments that were. Yeah, it was, it was a bit scary. Yeah. There were some sketchy moments for sure, but you really, you know, I wish some of the athletes now could really experience what that was like because you had no phones. I remember making one phone call home per trip. So you'd be away for maybe three weeks and you'd have to go into the phone booth in the lobby and the operator would patch you through and it would be a collect call that you'd hope somebody would accept. Yeah. And that was your that was your only contact to home. You were there with your 12 teammates and you know the five or six staff. And that's who you had. And you were, you were in the moment with those people. You weren't there and here and every which way connected with people that weren't physically present. You were just there with those that were physically present. That's a good way to put it. And, and 
how, how much longer did you play for? What, how does the next sort of phase into your life um, start to unfold and all that stuff start to happen? Okay, we are going down memory lane. Uh, well, I, <laughs> <laughs> Don't I played, be too hard uh, on yourself. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I played uh, for Canada for, on the senior team for 11 seasons. And so once I graduated from university, I was in a bit of a dilemma because mm. um, up to that point, you know, your training ground was really the university and then the national team in the summer. And so, you know, at that time too, so the early 80s, opportunities for for professional contracts uh, in Europe were uncommon. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really want to do that anyways. So I chose to continue with my education. I moved to Vancouver. That's what brought me out, out to UBC. I actually went as a student. I did my master's of science in audiology and speech language pathology, which was a two-year program. And uh, I tried, no way. I had to figure out my training. I had to figure out how is this person continue. So I moved, I moved in the early eighties and I didn't retire until 88. So, um, yeah, so there was a lot in there. And, um, I mean, one thing when I moved to Vancouver, I found a group of people that were, well, some real trailblazers and builders like Mary McDonald, Ruth Wilson, Darling Curry, they all opened up, like they had senior women's programs that were operating in gyms around town that were so highly competitive and were filled with former national team players and other high level university players like, you know, Bev Barnes, Joanne Sargent, Bev Bland, Gail Claver, Debbie Phil, and they're all playing in those leagues. And it was more competitive in some ways than the university. And we formed a club team and we went down and played, you know, San Diego and these places and we beat them all. And so I had, I had some training opportunities, thankfully, otherwise I would have been on my own, you know, trying to be at a level that would be impossible to be at. Yeah. Um, it's hard. Or Canada basketball. Yeah. Yeah. Why speech pathology? Just curious. My wife's an audiologist. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. 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 She works, she works for Cochlear. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, um, I wanted to do more education. So I was thinking of options and, um, speech and language, language pathology piqued my interest. Uh, I love working with people. I mean, it's another thing where you're working with people and you're giving back. And I was also thinking about, you know, psychology, moving into clinical psychology type thing. So yeah, I just made a decision when I got back some of my application results and, Decided on the speech and language pathology at UBC. That's cool. Yeah, I knew nothing about it before I met my oh, wife. Yeah. And then and now <laughs> when someone mentions anything to do with, you know, speech and hearing on my language, I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, you know, I always just drop the cochlear bomb on people and see yeah. if they, they respond, right? So it seems like a very cool field. So lots of lots of powerful stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. And a unique angle that you're mentioning. And, and I wonder if you hadn't have made the move, would you have been able to find the same level of training in Montreal as, as opposed to you know, coming out here, maybe not even knowing, and then you've come across all mm-hmm. these great basketball players that you're able to develop relationships with and form a team. And like you mentioned, because what do you, you, you pack the national team stuff into two months, three months, I don't know, you know, and mm-hmm. like those, the rest of that time, how do you maintain yeah. that level, which you talked about very, very interesting because you know, it's a, it, times have really changed for the better, you know, the opportunity mm-hmm. for men and women to play basketball overseas and what's out there for them is, is amazing and, and still room to grow, but it is a lot better. I mean, it's a lot better than even when I was a basketball player. So it just would have been an interesting thing about had you decided to, you know, stay in Montreal and uh, see what happens there. Right. But you, you know, and then 
all, your, your life, the trajectory of your life just goes, pew, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. Definitely. Yeah. It certainly was a factor. I don't know if it would have been the same in other places or possible. And I didn't really have a plan. I didn't really know how it was going to work. I did approach UBC because I was going to school there to see if I could practice with the team. Okay. And, but that wasn't really going to, going to work out, but I was, I don't, there was a, just such a, well, I mean, the, the background of strength that Vancouver and the local area has for talent for the women's game is, I think, unheard of sure. in that era. I think now it's shifted. You know, most of the national team athletes are from central Canada. Mm-hmm. But I think back then there was a huge bulk that was here and, and I just landed on it. Uh, pure luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very grateful. Yeah, it's again, there's been so many stories, something else, you know, just sort of that one or two moments within their, that career, that journey that have just really helped people. Right. And it's funny how it just mm-hmm. works out, right. You make that decision and look what happens, you know, how, and why did you know it was time to walk away from the national team? Did you, did you get cut? Did you get cut or was your body yeah. telling you, was your body telling you different things or did you just know that it was time to, to start to look yeah. you know, different ways? Um, well, I mean, I was in my thirties mm-hmm. and, um, and I played on the senior team for 11 seasons. So I think that was considered at that time to be quite a lengthy career. I was going to say that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's solid. It was hard. To, it was hard to let it go. Um, at that time, you know, the program was in a bit of turmoil as well. And so there were other reasons why players didn't want to continue at that juncture. So that was a factor as well. But um you know, there does come a time, just like with my coaching career too, where you just have to release something and open up space for the next phase. And, you know, even though like I'm, I'm one of those personality types that when I'm committed, I'm all in and, and I can almost go for forever. Like I could, I could still be coaching now too, but I just had to let it go because I have other layers of myself that deserve some focus and some time and and it was more just a understanding that there needs to be another phase where you allow space. Mm. So that's kind med- of what happened when I was playing as well. Do you meditate? <laughs> Not very good at meditating. You just seem very in tune with what you're, what you need as a person. So I don't know if it's through books or just life experience, but I don't think a lot of people have or the ability to connect with themselves, you know, the way that you're talking, right. A lot of people would hang on to something for, unhealthy reasons or Mm -hmm. because they think they can still push through and then it it affects Mm -hmm. them. And to be able to sort of, not that it's ego driven, but sort of that ego of just being involved in it for so long and having so many great memories to be going, no, you know what, this is important for me to walk away now. It's not an easy thing to do and you have to be pretty realistic with yourself to do it. So yeah, just interesting. You're, you can tell you, you can tell you're a thinker. Yeah, I'd like to reflect, but, um, you know, it would be, it would be easier to continue on, right? It's harder to to let it go, but you just, there's a lot of trust involved as well. There's more, there's more there. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not, I'm not just a basketball person, you know, there's, there's other aspects that uh, have been dormant or, you know, have atrophied a little bit maybe with the extended dedication. You know, I hope I'm right. I think I am. Because <laughs> <laughs> part of me would love to be coaching still, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm just trusting that that there's there's more out there for me in a yeah. different way. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. You grow in it, grow in a different way and continue to learn and build somewhere else. Right. And, um, just that growth mindset. It's good. I think it's good stuff to share. So thank you. And so I, I believe there's a pretty unique story about how UBC women's basketball comes around for you. And mm-hmm. when did you start to view yourself or start to think I, the X's and O side of things is something that's kind of cool. You know, did you, and when did you start to coach? I mean, my tendency is when something comes a little bit naturally that I almost turn away from it for something that would be more difficult. So that happened when I chose my, like I didn't go into phys ed. That would have been so natural for me to go into phys ed, but I, I didn't. And so um, could have stayed in, could have stayed home. You decided to cook, fly all the way to the West coast and yeah, <laughs> try school yeah. out here. I don't yeah. know what that's about though. I think sometimes you just got to know yourself and go with it. Right. So yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> So I had some opportunities to coach before I really wanted to, or I got into it because of my, you know, experience as a player. And, and so I kind of rejected some of those opportunities for a while. My good friend, Bev Smith, we retired from the national team after 88 and she got hired at UBC as the women's coach. And she hadn't coached before at, you know, like that. And so she was like, dad, what do you think? Will you be my assistant? Will you help me? <laughs> and uh, so I did. And I, I did because I knew that um, it would be fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was my first taste of, of that. And I liked it, but, you know, as a, as a part-time sort of honorarium coach, it's, it just means now you have a second job. So <laughs> it makes for an even busier life. <laughs> Uh, and then she decided to go back and play professionally. So the job vacated and then they hired Missy Thomas and I stayed with her for a bit. And then I, I walked away. And then my good friend, Mike Miller, who you might know from mm-hmm. Heritage Park and Hatsik, he he was coaching and he was um, a mentee of Bruce Langford who got him going as well. So he was coaching some regional team stuff with basketball BC and asked me to get involved there too. So I did that and I really enjoyed it. Then they went through another, so when Bev left, they, they were pursuing to see if that would be me to see if that would be something I'd be interested in. But that time I was just working as a speech and language pathologist for a handful of years. And I was like, no, no, I'm I'm not a coach. I'm a speech and language pathologist. Um, And then after, after they let Misty go, it was the same, the same opportunity came again. And then at that point I thought, yeah, I I think I'm going to give this a try, but I always did it with, you know, my dad used to always say, you know, follow your interests, follow your interests, follow your interests. Like you Mm -hmm. don't have to know the answers. You don't have to know the, the end line, just follow your interests, pursue, pursue your interests. So I thought, well, this is an interest and I'm going to pursue it and I'll do it for as long as it interests me. And there, and so it went 27 years. So (laughs) I guess there was something to it. (laughs) Yeah, there's a little bit of interest there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then from there, you know, I had an opportunity to get involved with Canada basketball and I was an assistant with the senior team leading up to the Sydney Olympics. And then, so that was really fun, like experiencing the Olympics again as a coach. And, you know, and I stayed coaching with Canada basketball for about 10 years in various capacities, which was also very enriching and, and um, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Just that full circle kind of feel to it where you, you reap all this stuff as a player and then you can kind of try and forward that on to, to others with that mm-hmm. full loop. So mm-hmm. uh, what was your approach as a young coach? Obviously 
sounds like coming into a program where there was quite a bit of turnover in the head coaching role for, you know, extended period of time. So mm-hmm. how were you able to sort of take your experiences and bring and turn it into your culture? Did, was it, was it something that you did, um, you know, specifically, and it was written down? Did you know in the back of your mind, okay, I've got like a three to five year plan here. How did, how did that look for you as a coach? Well, I really, I feel like I came into coaching through the side door. Um, so I, you know, I, I don't, didn't have, you know, the foundation of that, the academic education, um, which in some ways I wish that I had that as well. So I had the practical experience of being coached and I had some terrific coaches who were mentors for me, like Don McCray and Kathy Shields. Uh, I also had some coaches that steered me away from, you know, certain things I didn't want to, things I didn't want to do, or I didn't want to. So I I was really relying on practical experiences that I had as a player and really had to figure it out. So I kind of went back to my own values and the things that I thought were important in the team and a team culture. And that's kind of where it started. And then, you know, I started you know, once the internet got up and running, <laughs> you know, I started, you know, reading. And, I mean, you can access so many things, right? I watched, I watched a lot of basketball. I attended some clinics. I did a lot of online stuff. Um, I talked to some colleagues. When I came onto the scene uh, in youth sport, you know, people like Chris Catelli and Colleen Dufresne and Trix Baker, and Michelle Belanger, Kathy Shields, there were a bunch of experienced female coaches who I also knew when I was a player, like I was sort of the younger player around these guys, I was walking in their footsteps. So, um, you know, I would pick their brain and I would make observation. I'm a very observant person uh, and I'm very attentive to detail. So uh, I really tapped into some of those things and, you know, borrow things from people, see things I like and integrate it uh, when it resonated with me and then just kind of went from there. And then I had to learn, I had to do my certifications. And so then the formal education pieces started to fold in and and being fortunate to be at UBC among colleagues who were very experienced uh, and having the coaching program there, I could tap into their resources and, and their knowledge as well, which was very helpful for me. find it also interesting I remember being a young coach I'm not sure how you felt but I used to always think when I was young, I was like I can't let anybody know what we're running or I don't want to share this and then the minute I started sharing and tapping more people on the shoulder and asking questions about things I didn't know I, I and, it, and it makes sense now but I was like whoa I'm actually becoming a way better mm-hmm. coach because of this but you know I just it was like it's just an interesting thing the more that you're able to because at the end of the day like you're going to play you Vic and Kathy's coach and it's like we know what we're both running anyways, you know, there's no secrets at that point. It's like, who's going to be able to execute on that night. So why keep it all, you know, she's not calling you for film. She's going to find it for somewhere else, you know? So it's like, just funny how that growth mindset continues to work. And, and, and it's one thing I really appreciate about the basketball community in BC. So many people have shared just how open a lot of coaches have been to mentor. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and sort of like you mentioned, like you're coaching UBC, but you're still saying I'm walking in their footsteps. I'm learning from them every day or as much as I possibly Mm -hmm. can says a lot about, you know, your, your mind as a coach too, being like, all right, I, 
I'm going to admit to myself that I don't know it all right now and probably mm-hmm. never will. And I need to try to figure it out as best I can. And it's, that's good stuff right there. Well, I'm a firm believer in that. There's always more, there's always more to learn. Like as a player, you know, your body will conk out long before you've reached your full potential. Right. As far as learning, like there's always more to learn. Like I remember working on the step back move at the end of my career and it's just like, you know, <laughs> and, and I feel the same as a coach. I would be a better coach tomorrow than I was when that, the day I retired, because, you know, there's, there's always more to learn. There's so many avenues of learning and there's the real art of coaching as well. You know, and I know in the beginning of my career, I found coaching to be so isolating because of the competitive aspect of, oh, these are my things and those are your things. And we don't talk about the we're competitors. And <laughs> and I, I thought, wow, this is a real, you know, insular lifestyle. It's, you know, but I've seen it shift and change over the years, which I think is only only positive. For sure. And I was going to say just for you and your own experience, you know, 27 years in one place you don't stick around that long without adapting. Like people, you know, Mm -hmm. some, especially in a job where, you know, you're technically getting paid to to win basketball games. If you aren't adapting to the athlete, their mindset, what works for them? You know, if you're still trying to coach like you were your first couple of years, some of those, those girls are going to be like, you know, yeah, there's some values and things you got to stick to, but we also have to be aware of who recruiting and bringing in. And as you start to build the program, you had some amazing runs, you know, you're going to have disappointing years, years where you feel like you punched above your weight years where you peaked at the wrong time or whatever term people want to use, but uh, to come out of that and, and have three national championships under your, under your belt is pretty impressive. And just talk about how, you know, what it really takes to win a championship, right? I mean, even despite, Mm -hmm. even despite working through having Jim day on your coaching staff for a long time, you know, that, and him weighing you down. No, I'm just kidding. I love Jim day. That's my, that's my guy. I love that guy. And just what it took and then getting there and then being able to go back and get it done a couple more times. Not mm-hmm. easy to do. It's not easy to do. Yeah. And when did you know, I mean, did you have a sense other years where you thought this could be a championship team? Was it something there where momentum just started to happen late in the season? What was your view as a coach? Was it, did you view a season as like a process or did you know at the start, all right, I think this is who we could be, or was it always kind of a, let's figure it out and see what happens within the season? Mm-hmm. Cause so many things need to happen for it, for you to get there, you know? Well, I mean, I think at, at the beginning of my career at UBC, I felt like I was building the program brick by brick. You know, yeah. there was no magic wand. There was no like, you know, here I got six transfers from wherever. <laughs> it was basically, you know, who is this coach and what is she going to do? And this academic school that hasn't been known for basketball since, since the late 60s and 70s. Like, so it really was a brick by brick kind of thing. So lots of pieces came together with, you know, recruiting, get this one, then get that one and then get this one, but staff as well, probably my own development as a coach. So by the time we got to, you know, the first one we won was 2004. So I had been there since 95, although my first couple of years, I wasn't full time. So I don't know if we can really count them, but. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Cause I stayed wow. on as a speech pathologist for uh, okay. half time for my first year and then okay. 0.2 for the next couple. And then I finally moved over to full time probably in 98. It takes, it takes a lot of things. Um, I mean, luck is definitely in there. Uh, you definitely need to get lucky because it is a very thin line between a win and a loss. You need leadership. 
I mean, I think you need it from your coaching staff, but you need it from, your, you know, on the court as well. So um, I think that's a really important piece. Um, you need you need a certain level of skill, no question. You know, you need to be able to put the puck in the net. You need to be able to make make some plays and and uh, you know um, get it done that way. And then the depth. I mean, I think there's now. I think things have changed a little bit because you can get away with playing fewer kids with you know TV timeouts or whatever they're doing, media timeouts. But you know, you need to have the depth to be able to weather. Uh, the ups and downs of individual performance and styles of play of opponents and all that kind of thing. So and those road trips were not easy. Like the, the back-to-back against the same team mm-hmm. on the road, like yeah. my God, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you happen to sneak one out on the Friday, good luck trying to get a call or get a W on the Saturday, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's grueling. Yeah. It's, it's tiring and and it's, it's a lot. So for sure, there's so many different things. How did you develop that leadership within, you know, your, I mean, we're in an era now, especially at the high school level where a captain's kind of obsolete. We still have them, mm-hmm. you know, they don't go and meet with the referees at center. They're not allowed to communicate to the referees on the court, but in, in this early on, how did you try to develop that leadership um, within your teams? Um, well, I mean, it started sorry, with these are selfish but... questions. I'm just saying, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't care well, what the listeners think right now. This yeah, is all yeah. about me. <laughs> okay. Well, this is just me winging it too. So <laughs> I'm trying to dig into my brain. Yeah. Um, Sorry, you didn't think I, it'd be this hard. Hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the team building part is probably the beginning of it where you're getting everybody on the same page and buying in. Like if, if you don't have buy-in all the way through your ranks, uh, it's really going to be tough for the leadership to be effective, I think. So you know, that team cohesion and, you know, um, common goals and wanting to work hard for each other and putting their own individual um, aspirations secondary to the team. I think the team building piece is incredibly important as a starting point. You know, I, I like to operate with the leadership group and do some leadership training within that small group, learning more about what leadership is, how you can exert it, you know, how you can um, develop communication skills and those type of things. So trying to teach some key pieces of leadership to a group that you're entrusting that would be more active in their leadership, let's say. I think teaching responsibility, respect, accountability, all those things as values are really important because if people are more accountable, I think it's easier for leaders. You know, they can they can support and encourage, but they don't have to invent or create, you know, because I think you have to have people who are willing to follow as well as sure. have the leader. So those are some of them. I think developing a good a good level of communication, you know, with building communication skills within the team, player to player, in small groups, individually and in the collective. Uh, and then those communication skills between the staff and with the staff and, and the and the players is, is all critical as well. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I, so feel like, I think about any team or relationship that I've been involved in, um, no matter what's friends, you know, someone I was dating, whatever, usually things break down when it's a lack of communication or not, not yeah. clear, good communication. Right. And it's no different um, than in, in a team setting. Without question. We want to take a moment and thank our sponsor, Parkside Brewery. Located in the heart of Port Moody on Brewers Row, Parkside offers an amazing atmosphere with one of the best summer patios around. If you can't make it to the brewery located at 2731 Murray Street, 
then hit any government retail store and try the Don Pilsner, the Dusk Pale Ale, or my favorite, the Dreamboat Hazy IPA. A Hoops Journey promises that the beer at Parkside is much, much, much better than the owner, Sam Payne's streaky jump shot. We hope to see you Parkside. After a brief hiatus, Goodlot Clothing has returned, but under a new location, 3283 Main Street is where they can be found. Name drop a Hoops Journey to get 10% off any clothing items in store. The store no longer offers barber, but you can find the best retail around. Thanks to our sponsor, Good Lad Clothing, and we hope to see you there. So that first national championship, the horn finally goes. How long does it take you to, to really let it soak in that, wow, you know, we, like we did it? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's one of the things, right? I mean, it does, you taste it right away, but then it just keeps, you know, there's more to it. There's more depth to it. There's more appreciation and gratitude for all, all the things that, that happened to make that moment possible. I mean, the, I remember I can visualize this picture I, I had on my uh, office board for a while, which was like, it was so hard to qualify for nationals out of Canada West. Wasn't it? Yeah, it was just was like, so hard. <laughs> Especially well, on the women's side for so many years, ah. it was like, you'd look at the rankings and we're like, does anybody else in Canada play basketball? Or, like it was yeah. wild. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think Canada West on the women's side won 19 consecutive years. <sighs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And Kathy, it was during Kathy Shields' reign at UVic, and right. so you know, my first handful of years, we would come up against UVic and playoffs all the time, and we'd have close games and they'd win. And so I remember we had a playoff game, best two out of three series against Manitoba, and the winner went to nationals. We won the first game. Second game, you know, we had uh, a shot at the buzzer to win it, but missed. So we had to go to the Sunday, I think, 11 a.m. game uh, for the best of three. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> and so I, we won that game. And I just, and Jim was coaching at that time and, and Amy Jonker. And, and there's a picture of us just with our arms in the air, hugging each other. We're just like, oh, we're actually getting to nationals. Like it was such a big accomplishment to get over that hump and qualify for nationals. Yeah. And that, that was the first national championship win. Like we went the first year and we won it. So, Crazy. so that was just a lot of, like I said, brick by brick building the foundation. It felt like we finally got it, got mm-hmm. there. Almost like there's, were there some moments during the national championships where it was like, I can just sort of get out of the way. Like these, these girls are locked in and ready to go. You know I mean? We've got over the hump now. Yeah. You know, I've guided the ship here, but that doesn't happen without some good leadership and some serious studs on the floor, you know, and, and yeah. a lot of times, and a lot of times, as you know, sometimes it's just out of our control, right. You know, like what's going to happen is we've got a game plan. Here's, here's what we think, but yeah, got to execute it. And, you know, I mean, it, it says a lot about your group that year to get through and then make the run and, and win the three days in a row to win the national titles. Not mm-hmm. an easy thing to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and people kept telling me, you know, like, there's so much to know about the nationals and because yeah. <laughs> this is our first go at it. And, um, you know, but you kind of block out the noise and you do, you have to trust your players. And we had, we had a veteran group with Carrie Watts and Sheila Townsend and, and that group. And then we had a, a great recruiting class with Erica McGinnis 
and uh, Julie Little and Kate Haggerty. So they kind of popped us over the, the edge where we had that depth, you know, yeah, and lots of versatility in our lineup. Some decent players. Yeah, we had some <laughs> decent crop. <laughs> <laughs> and then to be able to go back and, and I know like I had Steve Konchelski on here and he's, you know, two titles or whatever, but there's so many other teams. It's not just about the title teams, right? There's so mm-hmm. many memories along the way. As a coach though, did you find it so what did you find was interesting about the season after you won did you find it harder because i remember when we won it richie chambers was down in the hall and he's like next year is going to be the hardest coaching year of your life and i thought you know what the heck's he talking about and it sure was like he was not wrong and i don't know what you feel but coming off that and almost like i guess for you all not in a surprise way but we break through the seal and make the nationals. Then we actually win it. It's like, whoa, how do we, how do we continue to, you know, yeah, what's next? want it? Yeah. 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 Well, there, there is a little bit of that fear after you win it. Are we ever going to win it again? again? Yeah. You know, like you just don't know, like, you know, once is spectacular, but then you taste it and, you know, it tastes pretty good. So, um, <laughs> you know, we actually, I can't remember if it was like, cause we won in 2004, 2006 and 2008. That's there crazy. was one, one team in, in between there that was, we didn't lose anybody, but we added some more pieces. We should have been as good or better, but we weren't, you know? So I think issues crop up when you become, you know, when you, when you accomplish something like that, sure. um, because the team rallies to, you know, to try and come together to accomplish this great feat. And then when you accomplish this great feat, you know, sometimes it opens the door for other things to creep in. Okay. Now I want to do this for myself. Maybe I want to, you know, and so I think, I think that sometimes interferes with the team goals when it's like, okay, now we're at the top of the team. Now my attention might divert to something different that might not, you know, necessarily help the group be successful. Wow. Corbs, you got to like go station identification. That was like the gospel right there. She said that way better than I could have ever put it. No. So, so, so well said. Yes. The things do creep in. That's interesting. And it's interesting Mm -hmm. too. When you mentioned your championships, there was always a year in between, right? Mm -hmm. So that's also an interesting pattern that that's there as well. Before we kind of get into some fun, reflective questions. My curious question for you is, is how, how did you, so you already mentioned, you know, YouTube and clinics. What did you do towards the end of your career at UBC to, to maintain? I mean, you had a great assistant coach, obviously, who was able to help you as well. But as they're, the women you're coaching are staying the same age, but you, you know, we're not, we're aging. How did, yeah. did, did you feel yourself changing <laughs> a little bit? Or how did you manage that? I'm always just curious who people have a long tenure somewhere, how they're, uh, you know, they're able to keep it fresh for themselves and their athletes. If that makes sense. Well, um, like, you know, I referred to before, like, I, I believe that you, you're a perennial learner. There's always more to learn. I I never was the one where this is my style of play. This is what we run. This is what Mm. we do. And it's going to stay like that forever. I liked bringing in new things. I like bringing in a new drill or a new, you know, wrinkle. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, I worked with Canada basketball. So 
having exposure to the international game was a real source of inspiration and creative thinking for myself. You know, I worked with Kerry Watts for many years and, and Sean McGinnis and Sean was involved with Canada basketball and, and um, uh, coaching education. And so all the little wrinkles that they're teaching the young kids. So, you know, I would be open to those things and seeing, Oh, Okay, with this personnel we have right now or this player that we've added to our you know program this kind of look might be something that'd be good for her or, or adjusting this a little bit so I think that all the way through my my career I um, showed some creativity and some innovation to things that I would do where things probably didn't shift that much was just, you know, my value system and my expectations. You know, the the kid has changed over my my time. And that's something that everybody always grumbles about, you know, Jen, whatever, Jen, whatever, you know, it's like, okay, so how do we, you know, how do we work together in the most efficient and effective way possible? So, you know, it definitely, I think, is a challenge for when you have a longer career to kind of stay current, you're not the young, you know, 30 year old coach who's, you know, just retired from this and that and has this bio, maybe play in the WNBA or something like that. So I think that does get challenging because you don't want to be that coach that people think is, you know, old school or has, doesn't change their ways or, you know, and there is a bit of old school to me for sure, but I think there's a little bit of, you know, more modern innovative person too, but it is that, that challenge of finding a way to be true to yourself, but yet be, you know, an interesting person to play for, an exciting person to play for and to learn from. Nice. Love it. How do you feel about where the women, the women's game is at right now as a province, as a country, you know, as, as mm-hmm. North America, how, how do you, how do you feel about it overall? Uh, I think it's, um, you know, a dynamic game. I think it, you know, it's nice to see women playing with more, fearless abandon and, mm-hmm. you know, embracing their athleticism and creativity and being uh, brave. I think that part is wonderful. I like the speed of the game. Uh, you know, sometimes the speed of the game is a bit too fast, <laughs> you know, for the skill level, but I think it's pushing the envelope in, in the right way where it's forcing people to adapt and, you know, if you want to play fast and you want to play creative, you have to spend some time working on your skills or else it won't work. So I, li- I like the physicality and the athletic nature that the women's game has gone and, and the ability to shoot the three. You know, it's nice to see the odd dunk in the women's game. It doesn't happen very often still, but, you know, there's some exciting elements. And, and the X's and O's, I think, are uh, interesting as well. Have you seen that Caitlin Clark? Caitlin Clark. She's from Iowa. She's got some wild highlights. I think that's her name. Okay. She's playing at Michigan this year and she's shooting it from the logo. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And they're, and they're going in like, she's ridiculous. Like, okay. I'm yeah. going to have to look it up. Yeah. Give, give yeah. her a look. She's give her a look wild when you're talking about right. athletes. Amazing episode. So many great reflections, but let's reflect a little bit more and have some fun here. Okay. Right off the bat, how mm-hmm. how do we feel about ketchup on macaroni? No. I think ketchup has two homes. I would say French fries and okay. eggs. Ah, okay. Yeah. 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 French fries, you know, it's just a long-standing natural pairing. Right. Eggs, you know, for one that doesn't love eggs, <laughs> you need you need the you need the hot sauce and ketchup to kind of 
help it out a little bit. But those are the only <laughs> those are the only spots for ketchup. <laughs> a long-standing natural pairing. I love it. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> ketchup has two homes. Wow, that was well done. <laughs> oh man, that was great. Um, who who have been some of the most important people in your life? Well, I'll have to go back to the parents, of course. You know, both of them, but particularly my dad. He was like, uh, you know, the biggest fan, the biggest supporter, the biggest uh, encourager, particularly with sports. He just, he himself was a sportsman. He was a university football and basketball player at Queens. And um, I mean, for me, I guess I came by it naturally with sports in the, the love for it and just the joy. Um, but it was certainly encouraged and promoted by my family and, uh, you know, sort of set me on that journey, mm-hmm. right? Sports has, uh, has led me. So I would go to my dad and my parents. Awesome. Two tickets show up in the mail with a barcode. They're, mm-hmm. to, the, they're to the best seat in the house, dead or alive. What, <laughs> what, well, who are we going to see? What concert? Is Elvis Presley a choice? I would I, go for him. You ain't nothing but a Is it your episode? Sure is. My episode? Yeah. So, yeah let's do it. Yeah. Elvis Presley. The young Elvis Presley. Okay. When he was, you know, energetic and a bit naive himself and just. Yeah. Yeah. The hips were yeah, going I mean, and the arms were waving. The hips were going and yeah, really, yeah, sexy voice. There you go. He would he would be the one, I think. Okay. I, would, I, wouldn't turn, I wouldn't turn down seats to Celine Dion. She's somebody I haven't seen yet, but I, I would really love to. She's still in Vegas. Uh, I no? think she. I think yeah. she packed it in in Vegas. She did. I eh? think she was there and then out and then maybe back. I'm not sure if she's there now, but yeah, she's on my bucket list for sure. She'll probably. Uh, oh, Corbin likes the Celine call. Corbin's a big music guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you think about it, good mm-hmm. or bad doesn't matter the reason. Just if there's a one game as a player, coach that you could go back to, mm-hmm. is it to relive a moment, to change something that happened? Mm-hmm. Is there something? Hopefully it's not something that makes you roll over on the pillow in the middle of the night still, but something that sticks out there. Yeah, it goes all the way back to 1984, Los Angeles Olympics, Canada versus China, bronze medal game. Canada had had already uh, beaten China in in the round robin portion of the tournament. And they had uh, a 6-7 and a 6-9, two post players. Um, So they had more height than anybody and um so we were playing them and, and uh make a long story short we lost the game so we we ended up with the lead medal so instead of being a bronze medalist we were a lead medalist and it was a very disappointing game we didn't play well but china to their credit had changed the uh their style of play they basically benched their big girls and just played fastball small ball and we we weren't ready for it and wow. uh yeah, and they were able to um, to get the win. So Don McRae took us out to the Beverly Hills Hotel for a team dinner, and uh, he presented us all with our lead medals, which was a uh, gold pendant uh, for a necklace that um, had the Olympic logo on the front, and he had it engraved on the back. So he was trying to to ease our, our heartache, being the great leader that he was. But yeah, I'd love to have that game back, see if we could do score a few more points. Yeah, it's funny. I, you know, I 
and you've experienced it. Sometimes it's that third, fourth game and you're like, ah, right. But it's the Olympics, you know, it's the, yeah, gold, the it gold, silver, bronze, right? Yeah. 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 Do you read much? Uh, I don't read as much as I should. Movies. Um, which one, if you want to, what, what do you want to take a, a hack at here? Movies or books? Movies or books? Well, I would go for movie. Okay. I think one of one of my favorite movies, well, there's one cheesy one I like at Christmas, <laughs> The Holiday. But if we're talking sport movie, I like The Blind Side. Ah. Yeah, yeah. With Sandra Bullock, the hard luck story of the football. Junior, Junior Cadugan, who's our previous yeah. guest, he mm-hmm. picked the blind side as oh, well. Oh, did he? That's okay. two guests in a row. That's crazy. There you go. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. You know, you like those true life stories where someone had to overcome odds and get some help along the way and and then, uh, you know, turned his life around and had a pro football career. And I like that. But the holiday's good too. The holiday <laughs> is very good. Oh. <laughs> We get That's enough. An we get enough cheesy <laughs> movies in my house around yeah. Christmas. It's like, oh my god, every Hallmark, you name it. If it's, yeah, if it's cheesy, so it's on the TV. I'm like, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, who are some of the best players for you that stand out? And I know they, they don't have to be players that you've coached. Maybe ones that you had to match up against. Just a you know mm-hmm. a handful of players where you're like, whoa, they can really go, mm-hmm. and they were a challenge. Well, I mean, or teammates, just- yeah. Just to honor a teammate who's, who's exceptional is Bev Smith. She was amazing. But if you're looking at foes, I mean, I thought of ones that I played against. And one, uh, her name was Hortensia. And she was a Brazilian national teamer. Only went by Hortensia. She only needed, like, one name and everybody knew her. She was She was probably the best player in the world through the 80s and 90s. She had a long career with Brazil, but she was just um, the most creative, athletic, offensive player I think I've ever seen. Mm. And, um, you know, she had a long career. I don't know how long it expanded, but longer than mine even. So it was like maybe, you know, 12 years plus. But she has a, uh, you know, a a Twitter um, presence. And, you know, she's still as fit today as she was then. It's so funny because she posts things and, and, and you can see her, but Hortensia. There were two Brazilians, Hortensia and Paola, that were the uh, one-two punch um, when, the, when the Brazilian national team was doing very well. And I often had to guard her, and uh, that was a tough task, uh, you know, trying to keep the ball out of her hands and then all the crazy all the crazy moves she had, and she could jump out of the gym. But she was only about five, I think she was only about 5'10", so she wasn't much bigger than me, but yeah. just an amazing talent. Sounds like the female, like Oscar Schmidt, just looking her up, it says here, mm-hmm. she, she was on the national team in 1983 and she was also at the 1996 Olympics as well. So yeah. she's in yeah. the Basketball Hall of Fame as a player, the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame and the FIBA Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, she was good. Does it say what the, her full name is there? Or is it just yeah. go by her type? Yeah. It says uh, <laughs> Hortensia Marcari. Okay. Yeah. See, none of us ever knew it. You know you're legendary if you only if you go by one name, you know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, you're you're sitting on your in your living room one night feeling a little snacky. If you had to have oh. a bag of, if you had to have a bag of chips, just do you, is there mm-hmm. anything that you would prefer? I just go for plain lace chips. That's it, eh? 
That's it. Just plain. Just give me the plain. I do like barbecue, but just the plain with the salt. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Needed to got to make sure it's just a small bowl though. Like you got to leave the bag somewhere else. Otherwise, you know, there's forget no stopping about, it. Right. Yeah. Forget about it. It's game over. Forget yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah. Just the plain, just the plain lays nothing too fancy. All right. I like it. Yeah. It's a common theme throughout this podcast here. What? <laughs> Well, just, you know, you, 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 you claim to be like a not flashy scoring type player. you you know, did all the, the dirty work and you're, you know, good teammate, right? A, a bag yeah. of salted lays are reliable, right? You can always count on them. You know what you're oh, getting, okay. right? You know, <laughs> true. Right? they step up yeah. when you need it, right? They're never going yeah. to disappoint. Yeah. I got mm-hmm. a crunch. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. Doesn't leave all that residue on your hands, like they all dressed or something. <laughs> See? <laughs> yeah <laughs> amazing um two more questions if you could get mm-hmm. someone on a hoops journey who has a you know a good story and would be willing to join the podcast who do you think is but you have to help us get this person um is there anyone out there that you would think would be a good guest to come on the show with us mm. have you have you talked to bev smith yet have not yeah she would be up there because she's like she's a bc kid um salmon arm icon yeah who's done everything um and now she's uh she's down in eugene running kids sport but kids sport there is a grassroots sports um organization that runs for i think from age five to 18 basketball Mm -hmm. volleyball hockey football they do all the coaching recruiting coaching training facilities like it's just amazing wow so um Actually, a funny story about her. I was visiting her down um, down in Oregon on the Oregon coast, and we went into a restaurant. And the waiter recognized her and said, um, "Oh, I just want to thank you for your contribution to the community." Wow! And uh, had a conversation with her about about that, and then he left. And I said, "Oh my goodness! Like he didn't mention that you're." Uh, two-time Olympian and one of the best that Canada's ever had. Didn't mention that you were national team coach. Didn't mention that you were a coach at the University of Oregon. He's talking about your grassroots contribution to um, the community in her kid, her role at kids sports. I just thought that was amazing. Right. That's so, cool. um, so she, I think, you know, she would be a good one, particularly because she's from the province and has done so much at so many levels. You got it. I mean, that's I can a- get her, get her for you. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Now we've talked a lot. You're a reflective person. You haven't got through kind of everything in your hoops journey just yet. But when you think about things, if you could do it all again, you would what? Ooh, okay. If I could do it all again, I wouldn't sweat the small stuff. Hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't keep like Don McCray. He um, he was my coach on the national team for the first however many years, and he would say, "Don't keep score." And what he meant off the court. So mm-hmm. if you're at the airport and the plane's delayed, and you're going to be sitting there for, you know, and you're for hours, and you're thinking, "What's happening? When are we going? What what's wrong with the plane?" He'd just say, "Don't keep score. Like don't concern yourself with things that are out of out of your control that might bog you down or get some creative." swirling in your brain you know don't keep score so and to me that's sort of the same as like don't sweat the small stuff don't get caught up in things that really are frivolous or meaningless or derail you momentarily from your purpose or your path 
because I think we all do. I think we all are critical minded a little bit and find things to as humans to um, busy ourselves with. And I think um, just imagine what it'd be like if we did less of that. Again, just freeing up time and energy and focus for for other things that might be more important. Wow. Well said. Don't keep score. I just, <laughs> I'm nodding so much because like that's my day started like that today. That's the only reason. Like I, I had one of those where like, it's something that personally I'm trying to work on a whole lot as well. So thank you for sharing yeah. that and, and, and reminding me of that and, and, and others, because it's so vital and you're right. Um, my wife had to travel to Victoria today for work. So I was in charge of drop off and getting yeah. breakfast and all that stuff. And it's a pro D day for my son. And so we get to the YMCA that he goes to and it doesn't open till eight. Well, it's 10 to mm. eight and my work starts at eight twenty, Right. So right then I had a moment where I was like, okay, Mr. Aaron Mitchell, you can flip your day upside down and get your heart rate up and, you know, yeah. get worked up about, you'll still make work on time, but you could, you know, or you can just, this is what the situation is and we can work through it. And I actually had that moment. So I just think it's really, really cool that that's what you brought because, and then right up till five minutes before we started recording here, when my laptop mm -hmm. fell off my desk and cracked, oh. <laughs> I still was talking to myself because it was just one of those days. And, and I yeah. think you make such a good point and it probably for you has just meant so much, just that one little piece of advice, because if you had to spend 27 years getting really worked up over little things, you probably would have not made it that far, you know, and, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just having a bigger global perspective, which is cool because it sounds to me like you're still carrying it in your life right now and, and you're mm -hmm. processing your life right now and the next phase for you like that. And that's powerful stuff. That's 35 years, you know, like that's, yeah, that's a long time to be not sweating small stuff. And I think you make a good point about, if we could all do that a little bit better, we'd be better people and all be in a better place and treat each other a little bit better as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. It's, it's amazing. Um, all the, all the stuff you learn over the, over the course of time, right. It's, it's kind of like, it's too bad. You couldn't, you know, have that stuff and learn it early on. It would, but I mean, that's, that's what it's all about, right. Is the journey and the learning and the growth and, and you have to go through it in order to get to where you're going to get, right? So mm -hmm. it would be nice if it could be bottled and you could have all of that insight and wisdom early, but I guess that's not the way it works. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. when you think of it, though, I mean, even though maybe we don't realize it, you learned it. And then there's, you know, 20 plus years of women's basketball teams at UBC that have have seen it in action or young assistant mm -hmm. coaches that have heard it from you themselves. And that's the idea is to continue to carry it on and mentor. Yeah. And you've done so much for the game um, in our province and, and in our country. And it was an honor and pleasure to sit down with you. Um, so thankful that you were willing to share your story. Any last reflections or, uh, or thoughts before you go figure out what you're going to do with the rest <laughs> of your day? <laughs> well, I mean, I just like to pause and, and thank you for what you're doing because I think you're providing us all with an opportunity to share and to learn and to grow. And, you know, we love the game and there's so many gifts from the game that you're, you're unaware of really um, that, you know, are unveiled as you go through it. And I think having an opportunity to listen to other people, having a, an opportunity to get to know some of the people that you've known kind of just vaguely or by name or not at all. I think it's, um, 
you know, it's a wonderful thing that you're doing. And so I want to thank you uh, for that. And I'm honored to, to be a part of the, the journey, the hoops journey with, with you and, and everybody else. You got it. And we were, like we said, are super grateful. Um, thank you for those kind words. It's, we've said it many times. It's a selfish, fun adventure too. We didn't, I, Corbin and I didn't know it'd be this much fun for ourselves, right? Yeah. We're <laughs> learning and hearing people's stories and, and just little things like this, Deb, at the end here, reminding me to just go, you know what? My kid's probably going to tick me off tonight. Don't sweat the small stuff, right? Yeah. And, nice. and, and learning and growing from each other is so vital mm -hmm. and wish you all the happiness in the world, whatever it is you figure out that you need to do for you, you'll, you'll succeed and excel at it. Even if it's just sitting on a beach for a couple months of the year, whatever it is, yeah. um, do what TV. makes, do what makes <laughs> you happy and uh, look forward to bumping into you sometime soon and stay well and healthy and happy. Yes. Thank you so much, Aaron. Same to you. You bet. A great episode with a true legend. Congratulations on the most recent UBC sports hall of fame. Um, I'm sure that will be a great evening to celebrate whenever that happens. Thanks to our sponsors, Parkside Brewery, Good Lad Clothing, and we can't wait to see you on the next episode. Thank you for supporting A Hoops Journey. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. You can find us on social media at A Hoops Journey and on our website, ahoopsjourney.com. Thank you to our guests and fans. This wouldn't be possible without all of you. Thank you to our special guest, Deb Huband. Thank you to our sponsors, Good Lad Clothing and Parkside Brewery. And we will see you on the next episode. <laughs>